This week on The Sport Blokes. This week, Ollie Wines takes out the Charlie in an intriguing Brownlow count. We take a look at an explosive start to the NFL season. Hulk smash! His favourite niece. <laughs> and a story about the first international cricket match you might not know about. Oh, let's go. It's 8.46 Western Standard Time on Tuesday, the 21st of September, 2021. As we do at the top every week, Shui, what caught your attention and what'd you miss? So much stuff this week. It was a lot, wasn't it? It was a lot. The first thing that caught my attention right off the bat was just how much this gap week between the prelim and the grand final in the AFL sucks. <laughs> we might talk oh. about that more in the AFL bit. I, honestly, I could not have wished more that the grand final was on this weekend. And it kind of made me realise just how hideously shit the reality TV shows are at the moment. <laughs> I have to mention The Masked Singer. Okay. What a heap of crap that is. I'll take your word for it. Uh, you, they're taking four celebrities who I can't stand and you're having them prattle on over the course of an hour about a series of relatively average performers trying to guess who they are behind this friggin' mask. It is so dumb. Lottie Takiri was on last night. Oh, yes. All right. There's your sports reference. Everyone's going, oh, he was so good doing... Singing flats. Yeah. Probably. Party rock anthem or something from LMFAO. It was so shit. (laughs) And I tell you, this, honestly, this show, real point of contention in my house right now. Wife loves it. I can't stand it. But a few funny ones. Okay. First one I've got to talk about, the most village cricket incident I think I've ever seen. (laughs) Now, I haven't been uh, able to find any information at all about this. Usually, I'm able to sleuth my way in and find out who the teams are and all that sort of stuff, but there's a fair bit to unpack. Oh, man. Now, I'll set the scene. 4.1 overs in, it's none for 38. Now, from what I can tell, there's been a batter retired hurt. Otherwise, sundries would be on 26 off 13 at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. Now, the bowlers aren't particularly good from what we've seen. Uh, definitely not. But that's a stretch. Yeah. The batsman on strike, guy named Adam Laddock, zero off four, and the bowler pretty much at the crease to bowl, and this guy's completely facing straight down the pitch instead of being sort of side on. His leg's bent like he's holding in a shit, so absolutely no form. And I'll point out that the umpire's about a foot to the right of the stumps, still tucking in his shirt to the oh, back of his so pants. there's so much wrong with this picture, it's not funny. The bowler, by the name of El Chiang, Bowls an absolute pie. Double bouncer. It, it bounced for the second time right in the slot. Lofted it towards mid-off and Ladak takes five ungainly paces straight down the middle of the pitch Yep. before turning him back. And this other guy, M. Evans, the non-striker, sets off. Striker's call after all. Yeah, well, and I'm not sure he does send him back, really. Well, he sent him back. It's after, not till after, after the cut. Well, he sent him back after he'd been run out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, by the way, the batsman has a bit of Nick Curios about him. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> little no bit. hat or helmet, so you could get a look at his face. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, this other guy's basically turned and taken half a stride before the stumps are thrown down. The two get in a bit of a verbal, and on the way off, Evans goes to throw his bat in disgust. He barely misses the wicketkeeper who's running past him, but he's released it so late that the end of the handles actually hit Ladak in the throat. <laughs> so good. That's what you get uh, for a shit call. Yep. Pure hilarity. Novak Djokovic would have been proud. Absolutely, he would have. Now, Cristiano Ronaldo managed to knock out a steward the other day, which oh. is not that funny, I guess. But the, He too would make Novak Djokovic proud. He, he would. There you go. He would. So it was a 2-1 loss to the young boys in Bern in Switzerland. Absolutely gorgeous part of the world if you ever get a chance to go. So he's put this thunderbolt wide of the target prior to the game and he's KO'd the young lady. 
He did manage to be nice enough to get over there and make sure she was okay. Gave her his jersey after the game as well. So a nice little memento for that young lady. Hmm. But the thing I love about this the most is the stadium they played at. Oh, yeah. And this is a stadium that I've been past a couple of times while I've been in Bern. The name of the stadium in Bern is Wanked Off Stadium. (laughs) Okay. Absolute cracker. There you go. I can only assume that the reason he missed the shots, Chewie, is because he was kept awake by those bleeding sheep. (laughs) What a weird story that was. He had to move house because the sheep were too loud. I mean, he had to move from one seven-bedroom house to another yeah, seven-bedroom house. What a, what, what a problem to have. I know, I know. Do you reckon it was just a bunch of Man City fans? <laughs> Didn't going, think of that. Nah! <laughs> yeah. You bastard. Nah! <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Yeah, yeah. Now, from a couple of funny ones to one that's just got me so triggered right now, some little shit from Arizona <laughs> had two hole-in-ones oh. in the same round. Yeah, that's absurd. It's After absurd. we talked about the first ever hole-in-one last week in this oh, week in sport history. Two. Yeah. Honestly. So it's probably not fair calling him that. 11-year-old Jake Martinez from Arizona has defied 67 million to one odds to nail not one but two aces Incredible. in the 2021 Palm String Opens. I sometimes feel like it's 67 million to one that I'll just hit the green on a par three. <laughs> well, it, I'd be happy with that. It, it just drives the hate out of me that this kid and so many other kids as well that you hear about will never have to go through life enduring the heartache of not knowing if you'll ever have that hole in one they'll never deal with that pain but maybe he's too young to appreciate it i dare say though if he's that skilled at that age he'll be playing for a while probably probably have a few (laughs) he'll be on the pga tour in 15 years yeah well to put this into perspective my father-in-law had his first one in his life earlier this year at 74 years old nice that's going through the whole struggle Getting to that point of your life where you think, well, it might not ever actually happen and he's managed to nail one. But nice. to get two in one round. Yeah, that's ridiculous. As an 11-year-old. Yeah, that's honestly. absurd. And the last one for me, a little bit of a disappointing story for the 4 by 100 metre relay team from Great Britain. They might still be losing their silver medals after CJ Ujar's B sample tested positive for a banned substance. British Olympic Association Chairman Hugh Robertson stated it would be tragic for other members of the teams to lose their medal. It's a pretty interesting point. What are your thoughts on that? It's tragic, but it's the only way it can go, I think. Actions have consequences. They have to hate him for the rest of their lives because he ruined their dream. Mm, I mean, what other option is there? Yeah, it's kind of hard. I mean, it probably does open up a pretty dangerous precedent if they just say, well, one of you guys can be juiced, the other three will keep their medals. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I don't see any other option, unfortunately. Yeah, I don't think there is. Yeah. That's yeah, a shame. Mm. What caught your attention, mate? Well, the first time I ever saw a honey badger save a sheep. <laughs> did you see that footage of Nick Cummins? I did. I did. This, this poor sheep's got its head caught in a fence and is trying to, like, jump. It's quite distressing, actually, mm, and it yeah. would have died eventually if he hadn't saved it. So that was a nice thing in the end. It's, it's kind of hard to recognise him without all his hair. Yes, he did look different initially. Oh, yeah, I had, yeah. To look... I had the sound down too, so I don't know if there was sound, but I was watching it work. Oh, I, I had to look three or four times to figure out yeah. him. Honestly, it was yeah, crazy. Nineteen-year-old Romeo Beckham put on the boots for Fort Lauderdale CF, the associate team of Inter Milan, for lack of a better phrase. You might know his dad. He bends it. Never heard of him. Yeah. Oh well. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> David, of course. Manny Pacquiao is running for president of the Philippines. So Manny Pacquiao, of course, had a record of 62-8 and eight with two draws and 39 knockouts. I didn't actually know he's been a part of the Senate there for like four or five years already. Mm. So he'll be running for president next year in the Philippines. And look, 
quite frankly, he can't be worse than Duterte, that evil piece of shit. So mm, he'll uh, certainly add a bit of punch to their, Aye, to their front bench. Uh, just hopefully he won't throw in the towel, much like Mal Meninga did uh, after about five minutes when he had a crack in politics <laughs> yeah, way back in the 90s yeah, or whatever it was. Did not go so well. And then some, uh, well, some crazy stuff. So first of all, the high school football game between Bishop Gorman and Hamilton High in America. So Hamilton High was down 24-7 with just a minute and nine seconds left and managed to recover a number of onside kicks to actually win the game. It was remarkable. I think the craziest thing about that was them going for a two-point conversion. Yes, yes. So they were still down one and they went for two to no guts, no glory. And far out, I guess, once you've gone that far, why not? But And this is for the quarterback that had what looked like a, a pretty horrible limp with about a minute yes, left in the game. Yes, yeah, but then he ran for Jeez. about 25 yards on that, one play as well. That limp disappeared very uh, quickly. It's funny what it does. It really is. And then finally, some good news for the Aussie women. So Darcy Brown became the youngest Aussie woman to pick up four wickets in an ODI after the 18-year-old took four for 33 in a nine-wicket win over India in Mackay. It was just her second match ever. And speaking of people in early matches, Hannah Darlington picked up two for 29 on her debut. The 19-year-old became the third Indigenous woman to represent Australia in the women's game. The usual suspects did it with the bat for the Aussies. Haynes, 93, not out. Healy, 77, not out. And Laning, 53, not out. Australia's undefeated record for ODIs stretched to 25. Yeah, I was fortunate enough to get to watch a little bit of this game. Absolute cruise control. This was one of the easiest-looking wins you could imagine. Just no trouble whatsoever for the Aussies. And look, I'm kind of hoping that they get to bat first in a couple of these games. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So we can watch them really open up because they barely got out of second gear in that chase. Healy went at a runner ball, but didn't really open up the, the shoulders too much. Yeah, the Indian women, not quite as good as the Indian men. But don't worry, I'm sure soon enough they'll be an absolute powerhouse. One really cool thing, though, I actually noticed that India has a bowler with the name Sneh. Oh, yeah, okay. And it kind of reminds me of that Simpsons episode. You sound like you're going to buy a pony, Homer. Promise me you won't. Hmm. What was that? A yes or a no? Buh. Those aren't even words. Sneh. Sneh. We had a team at the quiz last night call themselves, put it in age. <laughs> and I read it that, that way every single time I did the scoreboard because I had to do it in the right voice. What country does this car come from? <laughs> it yeah, it no longer exists. Yeah. Uh, what'd you miss, mate? Well... I missed rounds 15 to 21 of the Brownlow count because I had to go and pick up a bunch of those Woolworth bricks things for my daughter. Oh, you still did better than me. Oh, my kid. It's basically Lego. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I unfortunately did miss a couple of the fairly important rounds, but I did get back in time just to sort of get to see the, the feel for the end of it all. How about yourself? Well, I missed the whole thing. So I had dinner at my folks thinking I'd be able to watch it on at least catch up, if not Kayo, but it wasn't on either. In today's day and age, in the 21st century, you can't watch the Brownlow medal on catch-up. I was amazed at that. Mm. Weird. That is ridiculous. So there you go. So unfortunately, all my knowledge of the Brownlow has come from secondhand sources because I didn't get to watch. Mm. Mm. And then the other one I missed was the Manning brothers. We didn't get their Monday night football commentary, Peyton and Eli Manning, but there must have been enough complaints to ESPN because this week we did. So I look forward to watching that one. Yeah, they were talking about, was it hidden cameras in locker rooms for the Patriots? Oh, well, I haven't watched it yet. So uh, yeah, so, maybe some, next week I can bring it up. Some form of New England cheating. Yeah, well, yeah, what's new? Come on, you blokes. You know more than just sport. Yes, Julie, it's time for the weird and wonderful in the world of non-sporting news. And we haven't done this for quite some time. No funny ad this week. So we thought we'd better have a bit of humor near the top here with just not cricket. And I'll tell you what, these well and truly come from the you can't make this shit up files. 
So we've had so many weird stories lately. We had a girl that left her groom-to-be at the altar for her cousin. We had a guy that injected three litres of petroleum jelly into both biceps on his arms to make himself look like Popeye. And I don't know why anyone would like... Did you see the picture of that? Yeah. It was... One of the most disturbing images. What the hell was he thinking? And he did it on the inside of his arm. So it looked like the muscles were going inwards rather than out. It was so weird. Completely stuffed it up. Yeah, yeah. It's... It looked like giant floaties. Only in Russia. Yeah, well, yeah. But what takes the cake, Stewie, is Bishop Xavier Novell. Now, Bishop Novell was a star in the Catholic Church, Spain's youngest bishop at 41. He was someone who carried out exorcisms and was firmly in the conservative camp as a backer of gay conversion therapy. But that all changed very recently when he resigned from his position at the Diocese of Solsons last month due to personal reasons, quote. Oh. Now... What were these reasons I hear you ask? Well, according to BBC, and I read this on Loudwire, my heavy metal fix. It's a very metal story, as you'll soon find out. According to BBC, Novell is leaving the church because he has started a relationship. Now, I imagine that happens from time to time in the church, but it's more so who he started the relationship with. See, Novell has fallen in love with Sylvia Caballol, a psychologist and sexologist who also happens to be a divorcee, frowned upon in the Catholic Church, Mm -hmm. But it gets better. She's also an erotic novelist whose books include Helen Gabriel's Lust and the Amnesia Trilogy. Religion Digital quoted Novella saying, I have fallen in love and want to do things properly. Mm. Yeah. Complete 180. <laughs> <laughs> where, where do you go with this? So he's gone from uh, giving exorcists to then wanting to bonk a lady that writes about exorcisms in her books. Ironically, she'll be screaming, oh, God, oh, God, <laughs> at some stage as well. They're, they're basically uh, Boom, boom. There you yeah. go. Yes, indeed. So to Bishop Xavier Novell, I say, for carrying out gay conversion therapy, because that shit is fucked up. It's just not cricket. So, Stewie, a, a few nights ago, it was the AFL's Night of Nights for the Chaz Brownlow Medal to award the best midfielder in the competition. Uh, sorry. <laughs> For the fairest and best player. I know you've got plenty on this. As I said, unfortunately, I didn't get to watch, so I'll chime in. Fire away, mate. Can I start this off with a massive whinge? Please. So I apologise to everyone in advance about this. This is just something that has been pissing me off for the last few days. This is the year above all others that's pointed out to me how flawed this system is. You've got three umpires running around who can barely judge 15 metres on a kick. <laughs> Amen to that. So I, know I'm, I know I'm preaching to the choir. Oh, here. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. How are they going to know three votes if they don't know 15 minutes? Exactly. Yeah, like yeah. They're trying to adjudicate one of the toughest games in the world and they're expected in the midst of all of that to be able to pluck out who are the three most influential players on the ground out of a possible 46 when you include the medical subs. It's just, it's not right. And this is how you get situations like Jack McRae telling 40 possessions in round six against GWS and not registering a single vote. Yeah, defies belief. Now, I know we always talk about this. Stats aren't everything, but... I kind of need to run you through the intricacies of this. The other thing, just before you do, it's been fairly confirmed that they do actually look at the stats after the game, which makes what you're about to say even more remarkable. Yes. So McRae, 25 kicks, 15 hand passes, eight marks, six tackles, six clearances, eight inside 50s, 864 metres gained, (laughs) which is 210 metres more than the next best player. It's ridiculous. And he kicked a goal. Adam Trelaw received the three votes in that game. He had 16 kicks, 19 hand passes, so 35 touches, not bad, but only three marks, so less than half of what McRae had. 
five tackles, which is less, six clearances, eight inside 50s are the same, 432 metres gained, which is half of what McRae yep. had, yep. and a goal. Yep. So basically what you're telling me is he had nine more kicks, three more marks, an extra tackle, double the metres gained, and he's not worth a single vote. He was better in every quarter than Trelaw, including the first quarter, which is usually when the game's up for grabs. And, yeah, I, I just I don't understand. And, when, and again, the fact that they look at the stats makes this even more remarkable. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And when you consider that this bloke was third in the league in centre clearances, fourth in stoppage clearances, third in contested possessions, first in overall possessions and effective possessions comfortably, second in goal assists, fourth in score involvements, fifth in inside 50s. It just It's ridiculous. He only ended up with 14 votes. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And the, the list goes on. I've got a, a little bit of a summary, which I found on Fox Sports, which I think sums this up even better. Round one, Sam Draper had 24 hitouts, 10 touches, four clearances and a goal. Not exactly jump off the paper sort of numbers. And his team lost. Tom Mitchell had 39 touches and five tackles. Draper gets three votes. Mitchell, none. Yeah. Mitchell can have some empty possessions, but yeah, that's still, yeah. His team lost. to 10. Yeah, 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 yeah. Round four, Sam Walsh has 24 touches and seven tackles. Not bad. Ed Kerno, 32 touches, 12 contested, eight clearances and a goal. Walsh gets three votes. Kerno nil. Mm. Round nine. I've got a couple more of these. I won't be going through literally every single <laughs> You're round. You've done your I can already hear the crowd going, fucking get on with this. <laughs> round nine, Taron Thomas, 18 touches and a goal. Gets three votes. Jai Simpkin, 38 touches, 23 contested and 14 clearances. Wow. No votes. Yeah. And the last one, Rory Sloan in round 13, 19 disposals and four clearances. Jack Steele has 34 touches, 19 contested, 12 inside 50s, nine clearances, 12 tackles, no Brownlow votes. Wow. And, of course, Steele was the smoky. A lot of money was coming for him late with the Brownlow count too. That's it. I will will mention that Sloan only got one vote, but still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just take the job off the umpire so they can focus on officiating the games. This is not juniors. You've got so many people in the media, and most of them are former players. We talk about this all the time. They understand the game. They understand what is important in setting up and winning a game. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, a panel of experts decides the Norm Smith, like what will happen in the upcoming weekend. So why can't they do that for the Brownlow? Exactly. Yeah. I just think if you've got a team of, what, four commentators, usually three of them are ex-players at least, let them sit down after the game and say, right, who are our three, two, and one? Yep. Simple. Yep. Or people that are totally independent of the broadcast too, because broadcasters have a responsibility as well. True. And so they might not see everything. Very true. Ex-coaches is an obvious one as well, I think. So I think ideally you'd have a panel with maybe one or two ex-players and one ex-coach, for example. Just take it off the umpire, yeah. seriously. Yeah. How's this? I want a weird stat. So this is from Swampy Sir Swamp Thing on Twitter, one of the great Twitter follows. The average votes polled by winners in the 3-2-1 format. So with one field umpire, the average win was 23.1 votes. With three umpires, it goes up to 28 votes. Now, as we saw, we had the top four all polling above 30, and then we had some high 20s all the way down to seventh. But the weird thing here is when there was two umpires, it was 21.4 votes. So there's no rhyme or reason. It's not going up the chain there. Can I take that a little step further, actually? Please do. Did you know a quarter of the overall votes went to the top 12 players? I did, and that's where I was going to go next, yeah. So 36 players in this entire field polled at least 10 votes. 35 of them were midfielders. Yeah, yeah. And then Max And Gorn. that's my joke at the beginning. And then we've got Max Gorn. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
But we've got to give credit where credit's due. Ollie Wines won with a massive 36 votes to tie Dusty Martin's record in 2017. And it's the first time in history three players have polled more than 30, with the Bont on 33 and Clayton Oliver on 31. The other impressive thing with Wines, he polled in 16 games to break the record for most matches by a player that's won votes in, and also polled in 11 out of the final 12 rounds. And there was a bit of a worry that Bont might falter at the end, and sure enough, that's what happened. Absolutely, absolutely. Look, I don't have a problem at all with Wines winning this. I did talk a little bit about him, but I kind of talked myself out of him winning it. I don't know why, but look, he's had a superb season. You could kind of see this one coming with about two or three rounds to go, as you mentioned. It it kind of looked like Bont was going to fall off a a cliff, which he did. Well, that that horrible loss to Port Adelaide in the final round of the season, notwithstanding. Yeah, well, Bont only had 15 touches in that game, and Wines was spectacular. But People have to remember, this is a guy who struggled at times in the past few years to even retain his spot in the Port Adelaide side. You go back well, they to, took the captainship off him. Yep. Yeah. You go back to 2019, though, and he was in and out of that side. He only played 12 games that season because of injuries and form. Yep. And this was a guy who had never received more than 18 votes in any previous year. So for him to stand up this year and be such an influential player and such a match winner, it speaks volumes. And speaking of speaking, how, <laughs> how good... No, keep going. Keep going. I like it. No, I'll let, I'll let you. <laughs> I like it. I like no, it. How good was his speech afterwards, though? Yeah, no, he was good. He was good. Yeah. And I did hear that. Yeah. I yeah. thought it was. I managed to get my hands on it. The there was so much more depth to it. It wasn't just cliche answers. It was talking about, you know, the, the story when he's talking about calling up Rex Hunt. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. That got a lot of coverage on Twitter. Yeah. Tell me, tell me about Andrew, <laughs> Andrew Walker's stats. Like, yeah, callback radio. But that's awesome. Like, yeah, th- yeah. These are the sorts of stories that make these players a lot more human. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No, he's very well spoken. He's a, he's a mature young man. Definitely. And I think the fact that he had a beer instead of a champagne. Oh, yes. My hat is well and truly off to him for that one. There's no way. I hate champagne. Very relatable. Yes. But just just a couple of quick things about his season. So I I had a quick look at a heat map of his hardball gets and his loose ball gets. And obviously it's quite heavy in the centre square because, see, that's where he's spending a lot of his time. But there are dots everywhere on this. He is an absolute workhorse all across the paddock. He doesn't get stuck drifting forward trying to kick goals like a lot of midfielders do. He had a career-high year in disposals per game, inside 50s, metres gain, contested possessions and marks, but also intercepts. So he works really hard on both sides of the ball. Very worthy winner. And you say he doesn't try to hunt goals, but he's decent in front of the sticks too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Now, Nathan, I just I do quickly want to go back to something I mentioned a a second ago, sort of talking about how all the, the votes are going to these midfielders. Do you think that represents a bit of a problem in the game? Oh, why do you say this? Just in regards to the fact that there's no chance now that any forwards, any ruckmen, any backmen are well, even even ruckmen are kind of midfielders too, in a sense, aren't they? Because they're followers, so they're around the ball. But I mean, when was the last what Scotty Wine and Jimmy Steins around the same? Jimmy Steins was around, yeah. And obviously, you had Corey McKernan get rubbed out, so he would have won. And you had Chris Grant as well in what '97-ish, around '96, '97 was those two. In fact, they might have been in the same year or back-to-back years. So you have had players that have been rubbed out who would have won otherwise. But even so, that's still over 20 years ago. Well, so, exactly. yeah, it is a problem. And, and I'll, I'll outline this even more for you. So Jordan Roughhead, he set a new record for the most games played without a single Brownlow vote. Wow. 192. Yeah, okay. Now, 
he's not a bad player. No. I'm no. not saying he's ever going to threaten for a brown one. No, no, he's never going to win it. But you'd have but to you'd think, think he'd be at least one of the three best players on ground on occasion. Once in 192 games? Yeah, you would have thought so. You just, you have to imagine. Yeah. I think they said less than 30% of players polled a single vote. Yeah, right. Which, yeah. It well, just, when you, you give that stat of uh, yeah, the, the, the top, top four, you know, yeah, so exactly. it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I, I just, I don't know. I kind of worry about this. And I know the game's kind of moved on from the days when Franklin would be kicking 100 goals in a season and obviously so many more champion full forwards. Oh, I went plugger 1-1 in, what, 84-ish, whenever it was? Yeah. I know he definitely shared it with Johnny Platten. I think it was more like 87, actually. Yeah, it would have yeah. Been, I think yeah. it was 87. 84 yeah. was a bit of a Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So these sorts of things obviously are long gone, but there are just so many stories of players just toweling up forwards as backmen, getting nothing. There were a couple of guys, obviously Josh Bruce kicked 10. He, he got votes for that. And yes. Peter Wright kicked seven, got votes for that. Yes, and I have a stat here. Lance Franklin's one vote against Gold Coast in round 23 meant he was the third player ever after Gary Ablett Jr. and Patrick Dangerfield to poll against 18 different sides. So that's pretty impressive. But again... But he's not going to win Lance it. Lance will never win it. Yeah, this yeah, is the yeah, thing. So, yeah, yeah it's, it, it's kind of, as you mentioned, it is very much one of these things where no one outside of the midfield is probably ever going to win Certain, maybe not ever again, but it just doesn't look like it. In no. the, certainly not in our lifetime anyway. No, no. The other crazy thing, Shuri, just looking at the scoreboard here, Ollie Lyons and Travis Boke had 61 votes between them. Mm. Travis Boke, who nearly managed to pinch it last year. So he's polled very well in consecutive seasons, yeah. Well, actually, there were a couple of times late-ish in the season where Boke actually took votes off Wines and you thought, Ooh. Oh, yeah, that always happens. But, yeah, it's bound to happen. But I think yeah. that happened with Bontempelli late as well. Yeah, yeah. Guys yeah. like Jack McRae and, and the likes took votes off him. And it's crazy, you know, so many of these blokes in any other season would have won it, even down to, say, Tom Mitchell at 25. I mean, he's won one before, but, yeah. Jared Lyons at 23. Because I think Gavin Wanganeen, when he won, he only had like 17. 18. Yeah, 18. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There would have been several like that. So literally double. Ollie Wines, literally double that. And it's so funny that you say that because that kind of brings us to one of the real good news stories of the entire night, which is David Mundy. Yes, indeed. Yes. So I noticed pop up on our Twitter at SportBlokes, Adam Cooney tweeted, David Mundy nearly polled as many votes as me when I won the Brownlow 13 years ago and he's 36 and I've been retired for five years now and I'm overweight and can't stand to look at myself in the mirror. Well done, David, the real hero of the evening. And I've said it a number of times, if David Mundy played in Melbourne, he would be held in the same respect and fanfare as guys like Pendlebury, Cochin, you know, these sort of stalwarts of the big teams over there. So I've got two things to say from that. First things first, Cooney had 24 votes. So he was four behind him, which is a bloody good effort. Yep. Secondly, Cooney, I completely, completely understand what it's like being overweight and not being able to look at yourself in the mirror. Yep, me too. It's a, it's a rough old age when you get to that. <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, amazing effort from David Mundy, the oldest player to poll 20 votes in any Brownlow in the history of the game. And I've watched nearly every Dockers game the last two seasons. And I feel like I've said a million times over the course of our podcasting that he just gets better with age. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. And also must mention as well, Travis Boke, the oldest player with 25 or more. Yes. Like I said, he had two very good seasons back to back. Yeah. Mm. So no, look, it was a, a cracking night. There were some big surprises for me though. And I have to mention three of them in particular. Paddy Dangerfield. Yes. Six votes. Yeah. Yeah. What's surprising? So Dangerfield is arguably the best player on the team that finished third on the ladder. Yep. And he he's one of the best players in the comp. Yeah. Still. 
and he polls six votes. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's an absolute head scratcher. Yeah, it really is. It really is. And, and look, again, there's vote stealers, but six is very low. Yeah. Like Adam Selwood didn't poll that many, did he? So it's he's one of the obvious vote stealers. Yeah, that, that was a head scratcher. I mean, you're absolutely right. Some of the big guys that you would have expected to take votes off him, like Sam Manangola, three, Mitch Duncan, four. Zach Tui, four. Yeah, so a lot of yeah. these guys, it was Cam Guthrie. I mean, obviously, he had a great season. Oh, yeah, he's a very good player too. But 18, the top. So, yeah, I, I found that to be a real head scratcher. Looking at Richmond, okay, Dusty probably didn't have the best season in his entire career. Well, and they didn't make the finals. But still, 11 votes? Yeah. He, he's better than that. He's a better player than that. And look, again, Richmond didn't win that many games. No, but you no. still have to imagine that he was probably the most significant player for them in most of their wins. So that one was a, a bit of a head scratcher. And to kind of put this into perspective, like Ben Cunnington played 15 games, so one less than Martin. North Melbourne only won four games. Yes, they weren't good. And Cunnington ended up with an extra four votes. Yeah. So it like, okay, Cunnington had a great season, don't get me wrong. But it's it's just it's hard when you see that sort of stuff. It just doesn't make sense. Well, maybe Stewie, it's the fairest, you know. Mm. It is best well, and fairest, yeah. fairest and best, this you is, know. This is true. Maybe we're just thinking about best too much. Yeah. And <laughs> look, the other one for me, no surprise, I'll bring up an eagle, Nick Natanui. Missed the finals. Yeah. Yeah. Nat Fife won it the year. Yeah, oh, yeah, I know. And you've it. just said Cunnington as well. Matt Prittis won yeah, yeah. it won oh, yeah. the year that yeah. the Eagles didn't, so don't just think I'm hating on the Dockers. No, 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 no. And look, Sam Walsh, 30 votes. Carlton didn't make the finals either. Yep. And and I just, I sometimes wonder what the umpires are watching when the Eagles are playing. I mean, you can't say that Ruckman don't get any votes because Max Gorn had, what, 16? But five votes for Natanui, the best tap Ruckman in the competition. He was instrumental in a large percentage of the West Coast wins. The fact that Dom Sheed had as poor a season as he did and ended up with 13 votes is an exact example of how flawed this system is. Mate, most umpires are shit scared they're going to fuck up the bounce. They don't know if, which Ruckman hits it. You know what I mean? Like, I'll give you a tip. If Nick Nat's in the Ruck, there's a fair chance it was him. Especially if he's playing Tim English. So, yeah. There were a few surprises. But look, it has to be said, it was a really, really great evening to watch. And it was so great that they had so many of these little sort of satellite communities set up across Australia quite a few of the teams over in Perth that were playing in the prelims and, and playing in the grand final, obviously, and the local teams. But you had Brisbane had a setup. You had a couple across Victoria. <laughs> Jack Rewalt, and I have to say, this was probably my highlight of the entire evening, was Jack Rewalt sitting on his couch with a cup of coffee <laughs> while everyone's sitting there sinking. Going beers. hard, yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it was, it was great. You've brought up an interesting name here, Stewie. Was Jack Rewalt robbed in Mark of the Year? No. You don't reckon? Not even, no. I reckon Shade probably deserved to win too. I will say this. I think all three were very good. Yeah, this is the thing. Like you could make a case that in almost any year, Tim O'Brien's hang-up or the, the mark from Rewalt would win. But for me, look, you can't dispute this. Look at Gary Moorcroft. Look at Ashley Sampy. Look at Nigel Lappin. Sean Smith. Yeah. The little guys getting yeah, up. Yeah, like, yeah. That is, this mark had everything. The sit, the boost. The, the flare, little, the, the little kick. kick out. Oh, shit. <laughs> You just managed to kick our microphone there. I literally just kicked the shit out of the microphone. So, yes. <laughs> so that's how excited I am about this, Mark. For me, case closed, that was just 
ridiculous how yeah, high you got yeah. up. The rewalt one was pretty impressive because Marbia Chol was like really bearing down. He too. basically tackled him. Yeah, it's pretty incredible the man- that he managed to. And of course, he's off to the Gold Coast now. I don't know if you saw that. I did see that. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, no, I think that was fair. Yeah. I know you're going to have issue with goal of the year, Shui. I have issue with the entirety of it, not the actual goal itself. All right. So the lead into the goal. Let, the let's issue. get this. Yeah. yeah. So I'm absolutely torn on this purely for the fact that Adam Chera was out of bounds in the lead up to the, the goal that Caleb Saron kicked. Cracking goal. And if you take it in isolation as a deserved winner, it's great. But if you look at things like I spoke about this last season, the Paddy Cripps goal where he ran about yeah, it didn't bounce 56 it. kilometres before, yeah, he, yeah. before he kicked it from 50. Yeah. He ran a Jack McRae uh, game uh, yeah, amount of... Yeah. yeah. I, I just, I hate that there's a missed call in the lead up. It's like you and I have watched a lot of dunk comps over the years. When guys run in and don't bounce the ball, it doesn't look quite as clean as a guy who does the same dunk and dribbles. But I, that's I different just, again, though, because that's not a game situation. True. So in a game situation, you'd like the rules to be adhered yeah, to. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I kind of struggle with this. In terms of the finish itself, though, I actually like Bontempelli's the most. Interesting. And the reason for that is, if you look at it, he's on the full run. He breaks a tackle from Tom Cole. He's snapping across his body, going the wrong direction. And the angle is crazy. The angle is magnificent. On, on the, the left, yeah. going that hard, the wrong direction, is, yeah, he's basically threading the eye of the needle. Yeah. It now, was, the, yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. Like, Sarong and Pickett's goals were absolutely brilliant. Their actual finish themselves for the modern football player, actually the easy part. These guys know how to kick check sides. Yeah. Obviously, it's the fact that Sarong got up and kicked it off one step, basically. And in Pickett's case, he was pretty much tackled high and he broke the he tackle. He broke through about five tackles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's a, it's a really tricky one. I mean, do I have a problem with Sarong getting the win in this? Not really. Yeah. I thought it was the best of the three goals purely from the kick itself and the situation if you I mean he himself wasn't the one that was out of bounds no exactly it was, it was a Brayshaw or someone, someone uh, Adam Chera Chera yeah so yeah yeah look it's one of those things I mean we can sit here I can piss and moan about it all I want <laughs> it ain't going to change the fact that he's won it and look it was con- a great congratulations yeah it was a cracking goal and the other thing I guess just quickly before we wrap this section up it's the situation of it the fact that that was in such a key moment in that derby that kind of broke West Coast back oh yeah it was huge Huge so yeah. yeah, so you could certainly argue that the situation of that is just as important as the actual goal itself. And at that point, both teams still had finals aspirations. Yes. Too. So yeah, huge, huge. And notwithstanding all the derbies that the Eagles have won of late over the Dockers too. So they finally broke the duck there too. Yeah. All right, let's move on. I'm sick of talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we've got to start thinking about the grand final now. Unfortunately, we didn't get tickets, Stewie. Not without trying. Not yet. We've got our fingers in about 17 different pies or contests, I suppose. You oh, call. well, okay. Yeah. We're, we're holding out hope, luck, hope yeah. against hope that we'll win yeah. one of these ridiculous competitions, which is just designed to get our email addresses. But but how was this? So I had two computers ready and apparently the tip was log on at 9.30 and you can join the queue, but the queue was randomized. So there was no point in joining at 9.30 and I had no idea. And I had two computers on and the weird thing was the computer I logged on to second got me in the queue ahead of the other one. So one computer I got in, it was about 100,000. And then the other one, I think, was about 63,000. The lowest number I've heard of anyone is 13,000. The only people I know that have managed to get tickets were people that use barcodes. And even then they struggled. So I had a mate who's got friends in Melbourne. He had three Melbourne barcodes, still couldn't get tickets with them. The only reason he did get two tickets is because he happened to have two Western Bulldogs barcodes. 
So yeah, we don't know many people that manage to secure tickets, do we? But um, apparently they need 400 casual staff. How many people are going to just sign up to be a staff person and then just watch the game? Yeah. yeah. I mean, someone was telling me on the weekend that they know people that did that for the cricket, did their half-hour training, changed their clothes, watched the whole match, and still got paid. <laughs> yeah. How does that work? I know. But this guy said that they always buy child tickets, so they're shady. That's oh. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to look myself in the mirror. So Good job management. Yeah, well, there's a little, just, there's a little just, uh, Luke beverage reference Just there, like so. Adam Cooney, I don't like looking at myself in the mirror. <laughs> oh, dear. So let's talk about the grand final. Yes, indeed. Yes. Can't wait. I have a feeling it's going to be a very close one. Well, who do you think the extra week off helps more? Oh, I think probably the Dogs. Mm. Because the Mel- Melbourne Demons have only played one match in four weeks. Mm. So it could really go either way for the Ds. I mean, it's good for Stephen May because he's a bit banged up. And probably good for uh, Charlie Spargo Charlie Spargo, well. he got injured in training. So if the game had been last weekend, that's irrelevant. So, yeah, it's an interesting one. I think it's going to be one of those ones that we don't truly know until after the match. Yeah, I think it probably gives a few Dogs players a bit of a chance to get over some injuries. We know Cody Waitman will be back. Yes, indeed. The, yes, the concussion. concussion. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, there, you know, there's a few guys that were in the back line, like Alex Keith, those sorts of guys yes, who, yep. who will potentially move in and take the spot of probably Zane Cordy or, or Gardner. But, yeah, it's... Cordy's the tip, I think. I, I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, geez, it's so hard not to just be in love with this matchup. You've got the two best midfields probably in the entire competition squaring off. You've got the drought versus the drought breakers. Yeah. You've got Max Gorn going up against the guy who used to be behind in the ruck. They apparently used to play poker together as well. Oh, there you go. So, yeah, it's one of those things. If you look at the centre, first of all, I think this is probably the big thing. I think whoever wins the centre clearances wins the match. Clayton Oliver. Well, that's it. You've got the top three guys in clearances. So Tom Liberatore, Clayton Oliver, and Jack McRae. You've got Petrarca and Bontempelli, who are seventh and 13th. So you've got five of the top 13 guys for clearances. Melbourne are probably slightly better defensively. Gorn will probably win the ruck. Oh, of course. He'll smash it in the ruck. Yeah. Well, we know how well the Dogs players are at roving opposition ruckmen. So that might be a little bit nullified. And that's it. Yeah. So I think for me... Personally, I expect this one to be very similar to 2012, a game that you would know quite well. Oh, yes, yes. Enjoyed that one. I don't know if it'll be quite as last-minute sort of goal to seal it, but I would love to see that from Melbourne. I've I've got Melbourne winning this by nine for the record. I want Melbourne by seven. I think it will be close. And look, I wouldn't be surprised if the Dogs won. I think after they're a little bit shaky to end the home and away season, they're looking red hot once again. So it could easily go either way. I do think Gorn, oh, I hope he didn't use up all his great performances in the uh, prelim there, but I think he needs to be big. And I think he will be big too. He's hungry. He wants this. Who have you got for Norm Smith? I will take, I'll take Petrarca for Norm Smith. I think it's probably between him, Gorn and Oliver if the Ds win. Petrarca's more likely to kick a goal, I think. So probably I'll take Petrarca for Norm Smith and I'll take Charlie Spargo for first goal. Oh, okay. What do you reckon? You, did you think of first goal? I didn't think of first goal, no. I mean, look, it's you're right. It's very, very hard to go past Petrarca. He is just playing such a high level right now. I'm going to go a cheeky smoky, though, for Norm Smith. Now I'm going to go Christian Salem. Okay. He played a cracking game two weeks ago in that prelim against Geelong. Yeah. I think there's every possibility that he backs it up. And you have to imagine that all of these top midfielders will kind of almost 
cancel each other out to it's, an extent. It's not unusual for a fringe guy to win the Norm Smith or be in the running for the Norm Smith. So, yeah, no, it's not a bad tip. Yeah. First goal, I'm going Cozzy Pickett. I nearly said him. I said Spargo instead. Yeah, yeah. I'm, yep. go- I'm going Pickett in a similar sort of vein to like a Travis Barco breaking the line, smashing one from about 45 out and just letting the crowd erupt. I'll tell you what, if it's Wakeman or Smith, that might be enough for the dogs to win. Well, yeah. <laughs> if Wakeman kicks the first goal, that would be huge, I reckon. Huge. Mm. Yeah, Bailey Smith too. I mean, he could very easily. He'd be a really good Norm Smith pick, actually, if the dogs had a win. Yeah, true. Yeah. Because he'll kick goals too. Look, either way, it's going to be a cracker. No matter where you're watching it, if you're having a punt, good luck. Absolutely. And I'll watch twice. I'll watch once with booze in hand and then again completely sober so I can take notes for when we record next week. (laughs) Good call. Much like last year. Good call. Yes. Go the days. Yes. And now, what made Stu say bloody hell? Well, the bloody hell this week feels like a rehash of a similar story in recent times. You might remember episode 64, Cosco Mo. We spoke about Portuguese MotoGP star Miguel Oliveira, who married his stepsister and the pair are having a child together. Mm. Well, it's Groundhog Day! <laughs> Seriously, uh, what, what is happening with these Portuguese-speaking sports stars? I don't know. So Brazilian football star Hulk has broken up with his wife of 12 years a couple of years ago in 2019. Now, that's fine. Happens all the time. Absolutely. But not long after that, he started dating the, quote, favourite niece of his wife. Now, I will just say this probably sounds a little bit creepier than it actually is. She's only two years younger than him. But let's not forget the fact that she is his ex-wife's niece. Favourite. Not anymore. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, his favourite anyway. <laughs> Definitely. Like, fully rhetorical question, but how would you even bring up a conversation with your ex-wife's niece that you think she's attractive and would like to pursue things? It just, <laughs> it's mind-boggling. <laughs> it really is. Uh, but get this, he's moved across to China to continue his professional career, and he actually married her in 2020 because in order for her to stay in China, they needed to be married. Ah, uh, one of those. And now they're having a child together. Yep. Little baby niece Hulk. Yes. I'm, I'm not even going to translate this one. Bloody hell. Bloody hell. So, Nathan, we'll move on to the NFL now. And we haven't heard anything about your fantasy team yet. Yes, well, that's true. So, defending champion. Thank you very much. In the year where there was no money. I'm one on one. So, <laughs> Is there money this year? <laughs> yes, there is this year. Of course year. there is. Yep. So I'm one on one. How to win this week? Last week was a bit shaky, as I mentioned, because I have Ezekiel Elliott. I picked him at number five. Now, I did so reluctantly. I've never been a big fan of his. I think the Cowboys are overrated, but I didn't want to take Saquon Barkley because I didn't trust him after the injury. You need running backs early. So I feel like I didn't really have a choice. So I took him. But here's something that I wanted to mention about fantasy sports. So fantasy sports, this is the only fantasy sport I play. We've done basketball in the past. Dabbled in AFL a little bit in the past too. I actually think NFL fantasy is probably the truest reflection of the best players for the most part. But one of the issues I do have is that you look at Ezekiel Elliott last week, I think it was 4.6 points in our competition where half PPR. So what does that mean for people who don't know? So PPR is points per reception. Now he's a running back, so he's more likely to get his points from the yards he gets on the ground and the touchdowns he gets. But the thing that they don't count is blocks. And he's one of the best blocking running backs in the league. 
And yes, okay, although he didn't rack up huge stats, he actually blocked on some really key players and on some scoring players too. So this is something that gets lost. And I think fantasy sports is a really good way of engaging people when they want stakes and when they want to be interested in every game. But we're sport junkies and so we don't need that extra level of, you know, I, I'm already interested in every, I'll watch any game that's on, even the crappy teams. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I am a bit conflicted about fantasy sports, but one of the benefits, I guess, of NFL versus basketball, for example, is they pretty much only have games on the weekend. So you don't need to constantly look. You can kind of confine it to a few days in the week. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I had the strategy of getting running backs who could catch because that's the best strategy to have. And then, of course... <laughs> kind of like how it is in the draft. Uh, it went all out the window, completely out the window. So I got Ezekiel Elliott reluctantly in round one, as I say. And then with my next two picks, I picked DeAndre Hopkins and then Stefan Diggs. Now... Now, I think that's going to work out okay for me. I do have a bloody good team. So my starting, uh, Josh Allen, Ezekiel Elliott, Chris Carson, Stefan Diggs, DeAndre Hopkins, Rob Gronkowski, Keenan Allen, the Rams, D, and kickers. Well, you know, kickers are interchangeable. But I've got Cooper Cup on the bench. I've got some good guys on the bench. So I think I've got a decent team. I have a lot of receivers. So, yeah, it will be interesting. I do worry about my running back stocks, but we'll see. We'll keep tabs on that throughout the season. Mm -hmm. But it has been an interesting season already. So we're only two weeks in, but there's been no shortage of really exciting games and upsets and crazy finishes and all sorts of stuff. And already more than half of the league is one and one. So there's very few teams that are two and oh or oh and two. Derek Carr and the Las Vegas Raiders are two and oh, which is a surprise, I've got to say. It's actually the first time the Raiders have ever started two and oh with wins against teams that made the playoffs the previous season. Okay. So that's pretty impressive. That's with John Gruden, of course, doing his second run as coach at now Las Vegas, then Oakland. The Panthers are 2-0 with Sam Darnold. So that's an interesting one too. And I think the thing that I guess the people that don't really follow NFL would not would be sort of saying is, well, hang on, it's only two games in. It's a very short home and away season. It is a short season and you play your competitors within your division twice within the season. So this is the first year we moved to 17 games. Previously, there's been 16 games for many, many years. So when six out of those 17 are against division rivals, they're pretty important games. And if you have crappy teams in your division, as the Patriots did for many, many years, it certainly helps. So I, I think the Panthers will, you know, with Christian McCaffrey back playing quite well in the first two weeks after being injured, I think they will consider themselves having a red hot chance of winning that NFC South. So as I mentioned, there's been some crazy results and some really weird stats too. So the Chicago Bears beat the Cincinnati Bengals 20-17 to 17 with just 83 yards of passing. How's that Fancy one? winning a game. I know, right? Yeah, and, and that's with Justin Fields and Andy Dalton sharing about half of the yardage each. Andy Dalton injured, Justin Fields might have taken the keys to that one. Baltimore and Kansas City. Lamar Jackson had a very important fourth and one at midfield in a very risky play call. So this is one of the games I actually managed to watch a decent amount of. And yeah, I mean, how good was Lamar Jackson? 239 yards of passing, 107 rushing yards, three touchdowns. And finally got the monkey or more aptly the chief off his back because the chiefs are the one team he could never beat. And it's also worth noting that he did this all while missing his first three running backs as well. So I had to go with a fourth string running back. Yeah, and that's right. And it's not just the running backs. They are absolutely smashed with injury. So the fact that they're even one and one they should probably actually be 2-0. and oh. They probably should have won that Raiders game last week, which I watched. So yeah, absolutely. Pretty impressive stuff. 
But as you mentioned, the fourth down, we have to talk about that. That's probably one of the, the crazier decisions I've seen, especially considering you've got Pat Mahomes, who is, I wouldn't even say, arguably the best quarterback in football right now. Well, some people would say Tom Brady is at the ripe old age of 44, which is fucking crazy. But, yeah. But, but no, absolutely. Yeah, he, he is. He's, he's the best. So, yeah. Okay. He's top two or three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're on their 44-yard line. It's a fourth and one. On the road. Running it out of the shotgun as well, which kind of turns it into like a fourth and three or fourth and four. Absolutely, it does. Yeah, 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 definitely. And Jackson calls his own number and decides to run. Now, he made a hell of a a squeeze to get through that pack and managed to get through for that first down. But what do you make of the call? I'm amazed at the call. I think it was a horrible call. I think it's one of those ones that look good when they go well. If they screw that up, they're nearly immediately in field goal range. They only need a couple of, they probably only need one first down to be in field goal range and to win the game because they were only down by one point at the time. Mm. So I think it was, I don't think gutsy is the right word. I think it was a stupid call. It doesn't matter that it came off. I think it was still stupid. Mm -hmm. Very lucky. Now, one of the other key talking points out of this game is just how big a win this was. So Jackson actually threw for a couple of interceptions, which a lot of people have already said, who throws for interceptions against the Chiefs in Kansas City and still managed to win a game. Oh, very rare in the last few seasons. Like, those are absolute game killers. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they have been for him in the past against the Chiefs. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Now, obviously, with these guys being conference rivals, these games kind of almost count as two. But you've mentioned the huge ramifications for them in terms of we've never lost a game against this team. We talk about Kansas City. They've never lost to them. Huge for confidence. That, that's what my question Momentum. is. Like how big is yeah. this? Yeah, no. Given, given they've been so banged up with injury, it's a very impressive performance. Very impressive. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't really move the needle any which way for Kansas City. They're still obviously capable of beating anyone on any Oh, yeah, they'll don't. be fine. And as I said, more than half the league is one-on-one. So it's not a huge deal. Mm. But yeah, look, and the Ravens have done well to get the guys off the street that they have. I mean, Latavius Murray, Devontae Freeman, uh, Le'Veon Bell. These are all people that have been very, very good running backs not so long ago. So they're no slouches. And apparently the offense is incredibly difficult to pick up. So these guys who are coming in with a week or so to get ready are kind of going to be you know put in for a couple of plays and yeah. because it's that hard to to know it all. So. But they are veterans, and so yeah, I mean they've played. Uh, Devontae Freeman played in the Super Bowl, for example, should have actually won. It's the one that the Falcons choked to the Patriots. So yeah, they they, they have had very good careers, but yeah, it's still very impressive. And one of the other things I guess I just kind of wanted to mention was even though it was a high scoring game, it was really interesting to see how Mahomes was defended. So. One of the things about Baltimore is they love to blitz and it would be so easy to try and keep going with that game plan, but Mahomes loves the blitz. Oh yeah, he loves, yeah, yeah, he loves running. He loves being blitzed because he can get out of out of these crazy pockets. He makes passes, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, Tyreek Kill. He's got a lot of good receivers. They only blitzed him four times. Mahomes was four of four, 74 yards and a touchdown on those four blitzes. Wow. wow. So they, they made the right choice to not blitz him. Yeah. Shui, how would you feel after you threw an interception? Oh, just be inconsolable. How would you feel if you threw three in a row on three consecutive passes? I would be happy with my consistency. (laughs) That's what happened to Joe Burrow. And that partly explains why Chicago somehow managed to get up 20 to 17 over the Bengals. Three interceptions in three passes. That's very hard to overcome. Mm. Zach Moss had four interceptions against New England as uh, Jets quarterback. Not a good hunting ground for quarterbacks. 
not a good team. Well, well, the Jets. Rookie quarterbacks. As yeah, well. well, that's right. I actually yeah. saw a stat on that one. The last four rookie quarterbacks to play there had thrown something like eleven interceptions and two touchdowns. Yeah, it's so not a good team. It's yeah, it's they a- are not a good team. <laughs> Uh, a couple of other things quickly. Now, there's been some big injuries already. Carson Wentz hurt both angles against the Rams. Andy Dalton, I've already mentioned. Tyrod Taylor, this one kills me. He's bounced around the league so much. He finally had a really good start with the Houston Texans, and then he got injured himself. I hate to see it. At least he's not on your fantasy team. <laughs> Tua Tagovailoa has already hurt himself in Miami, and he has made a glass, that guy. So they'll be starting to get a bit worried about him. Jalen Hurts. Is he injured? No, he's not. I just want how to say, is, I just want to say he, his name. How is he the only guy in that list? A guy with the name uh, Hurts, the only guy who's not injured. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll probably have to leave it there for now. But uh, how's this for a weird one? Taylor Heineke. So there was a really weird game between the New York Giants and the Washington football team. In the NFC East, which is affectionately known as the NFC Least, because there's a lot of crap teams there. But Taylor Heineke, he's got a bit of Cobra Kai about him. He became the first quarterback... He really does. You watch him play, you watch him without his helmet. He wears his headband. Like He's got a bit of Cobra Cry about it. Anyway, he became the first quarterback since at least 1978. So this is according to ESPN Stats and Info. They obviously haven't managed to find anything further past then. It might be even more. To complete a go-ahead pass touchdown, an interception, and a game-winning drive in the final five minutes of regulation, all on three separate drives. That game was absolutely nuts. And the only reason they got the win is because their kicker had to retake a game-winning field goal attempt because he initially missed, but because one of the Giants players was offside, he got to re-kick it. And of course, as so often happens, he got the re-kick. Because he missed and said, come on, give me another go. (laughs) I can do it this time. I promise. That's not how it works. It should be. Well, Nath, I know this is your segment, but I'm going to hit you up with a couple of stats. Yes, I know. Everything is everyone's. No, no, but you know a lot more about the NFL than I do. So Derek Henry. Yes. Has seven games with 180 plus rushing yards and multiple rushing touchdowns in the last four years. He is a beast. The rest of the league has four combined. Yes. It's like the equivalent of games with 10 or more three-pointers. Yes. Oh, yeah. Steph Curry versus everyone else. He is the new beast mode. Absolutely. And I know you're going to love this for a finish. Tom Brady. Oh, yeah. Love him or hate him. Man just keeps doing his thing. Oh, it's incredible. It's incredible. Nine touchdowns in the first two weeks of the season. Yep, two to Gronk this week again. His first five touchdowns, zero interception game since 2017, the last time he was MVP. Yep. And going back to last season, he's now thrown at least four touchdowns in his last four games. Yeah, he's in very good form. There's word that the only thing stopping him from playing till he's 50 is his wife, Giselle. Yeah, well, I don't know, 44. That's still six years. So it's, it's one bad injury away. One Achilles, one knee, one shoulder. One hip. Yeah, well, yeah. (laughs) Six years is still a long way away. And now, this week in sport history. September 21st, 1988, Suriname swimmer Anthony Nesty wins the 100-metre butterfly gold medal at the Seoul Olympics, registering Suriname's first ever gold medal and still their only gold to this day. In the process, he became just the second black athlete to win an individual Olympic swimming gold medal and the first male. In doing so, thwarting the attempt of American Matt Biondi to achieve what would have been his third gold medal at the Games. He still went on to win five. Biondi was in between strokes coming to the wall and elected to glide in rather than put in another stroke, which was just enough to allow Nesty to pounce, winning by just one one hundredth of a second. Nesty was understandably a hero and would not only have a commemorative stamp and coin made in his honour, Suriname Airways also actually named one of their airplanes after him. 
It wasn't all good, however. Tragically, pilot error saw it crash on the 7th of June 1989 on approach to the capital of Paramaribo, killing 178 of the 187 passengers on board, including a group of Surinamese Dutch footballers who were due to play an exhibition game in the coming days. Legendary Dutch international Ruud Hullet was saved from the crash, however, after being denied permission to play by AC Milan. Talk about some survivor guilt there. Mm. Nesty still coaches the male and female swim team at the University of Florida. Crazy story. Ugh. September 22nd, 1966, in a game between the New York Yankees and Chicago White Sox at Yankee Stadium, only 413 fans show up to the game. <laughs> now, there have been smaller crowds than this before. There was a game between the Baltimore Orioles and the White Sox in 2015, which was played in front of a crowd of zero because of all the civil unrest in Baltimore, while a 1979 game between the Oakland A's and Seattle Mariners drew a crowd of just 250 because of temperatures as low as four degrees. Ouch. Oy. But this game between the Yankees and White Sox was mostly just because the Yankees sucked at the time. <laughs> they lost the game 4-1 to the Sox and finished the season 70-89, and 89, finishing 10th in the American League. And the Sox, of course, their major rival, so no local people wanted to see them lose to their major true, rival. True, true. September 22nd, 1986, the first test between India and Australia at Madras finishes in a tie with Maninder Singh giving our LBW off Greg Matthews from the second last ball of the match. Australia made seven declared for 574 in their first inning with Dean Jones making a famous 210 before being treated in hospital for heat exhaustion. I've seen footage of this. It was all over Twitter yesterday, actually. And late in his innings, he was hitting a boundary, then walking off to square league to throw up. He couldn't even control his bladder and wet himself a number of times. One of the grittiest performances you could ever imagine. India just avoided the follow-on, going from 7 for 245 to 397, thanks largely to Kapil Dev's 119, and he, of course, was a bowler, so that was a bloody good knock from him. Australia declared at 5 for 170, setting India a tricky 348 for victory, and at 2 for 204, things were looking under control. But Matthews and Ray Bright took all 10 wickets between them to claw Australia back for a result. The conditions for this game have been spoken about at length, the temperatures were almost unbearable with the smell from the Buckingham Canal alongside the stadium, basically an open sewer, meant that it wasn't even close to being safe for the players to be out there. What a performance from Dino, RIP, one of my absolute favourite players as a kid and indeed one of my favourite commentators too later in life. And I have to say, if we'd lost that match, it would have been down to the reason that Greg Matthews wore his hat while he was bowling. <laughs> <laughs> was that pre-advanced hair, Stewie? Do not bowl with your bloody baggy green on. <laughs> Doesn't look good. Uh. September 23rd, 1908, the Boner game. Ooh. Yeah. While playing for the New York Giants, Fred Merkel came out to bat with one out in the ninth inning and the scores tied at one. After he hit a single and advanced teammate Moose McCormick to third base, Al Bridwell stepped up and hit a single of his own, appearing to end the game as McCormick easily made it home. However... Merkel failed to touch second base on his way around. Cubs second baseman Johnny Evers noticed this and touched the base, ball in hand, appealing for the out. Umpire Hanko Day, who oddly enough would go on to manage the Cubs later in life, gave Merkel out due to the force rule. Basically, with Bridwell running to and occupying first base, Merkel had to run to second. Him not touching the base meant he was forced to be out. Now, the winning run was disallowed. Unfortunately for the Giants, though, thousands of fans had already stormed the ground presuming that the game was over. <laughs> that old chestnut. And the result was that they were unable to resume play before such a time that light was an issue. So the game was decided to be a tie. And at the end of the season, the Giants and Cubs actually finished tied in the standings, resulting in a rematch to decide who would win the National League pennant. The Cubs won the replay 4-2. to two, And this was actually back when only the pennant winners made the postseason. 
So the Cubs would play the Detroit Tigers in a World Series, winning at 4-1, their last World Series win for 108 years. And unfortunately, that little mistake from Fred Merkel cost them a chance to play in the World Series. Fred Merkel would be given the nickname Bonehead, and this era would be known forever as Merkel's Boner. San Francisco Giants now, of course. If it weren't for all the craziness that you've outlined there, the, the most remarkable thing from this story would be the fact that an umpire then became a manager. How often does that happen? Mm, like basically never. Yeah, that's very rare. September 25th, 1844, Canada defeats the USA by 23 runs in the first ever international cricket match held at the grounds of St. George's Cricket Club in Manhattan, New York City. The game was originally meant to go across two days, but had to be extended due to rain on the second day. Are you sure this wasn't held in London? Or... I knew that was coming. <laughs> it, it was a high-scoring affair, with Canada sent into bat making 82 behind 12s from David Winkworth, George Sharp, and a man only listed as Freeling. Maybe it's like Madonna or Prince. No, he was a real mystery man, this Freeling. No one knew anything about him except he just turned up to play cricket one day. (laughs) Can't have been worse than that bloke in that uh, (laughs) county game we talked about at the time. (laughs) Well, he he did throw his bat around to get 12, though. (laughs) They were all beaten by sundries, though, Stewie, which had 15. And only two USA players bowled. Wow. Robert Tinson made 14 in reply for USA and they were bowled out for 64. Winkworth top scored in Canada's second dig with a swashbuckling 14 as Canada made 63. Needing 82 to win, USA lost 4 for 1 in the middle order to fall 23 runs short. Interestingly, George Wheatcroft, who was the number three batsman for the USA, didn't show for the third, so he didn't field or, more importantly, bat. Mm, quality. Crazy stuff. They actually had 20,000 people turn up to watch that, though. Wow. And that nuts. Yeah. Last two teams you would have expected yeah, to play yeah, yeah. the first international cricket match. So, yeah, it's a, it's a crazy old game. There you go. This Week in Sport History. All right, Stu, you know what that music means. What are you at for? I don't know, man. There's nothing good on this week I can think <laughs> of. Oh, shit. Actually, no, there's a really important football match on this Saturday. The Scottish League 2 clash between Stenhouse Muir and Elgin City. Of uh, course. course uh, of course. How about yourself, mate? Well, I'm very much looking forward to hearing those uh, Manning brothers talk on Monday Night Football, as I mentioned. We didn't get it here in Australia last week. We will get it this week, so I'm really looking forward to it. Peyton Manning is an absolute legend. Hilarious guy. Eli will be funny too. So, Oh, yeah, and plus there's some other footy game on as well, the uh, Waffle Prelims. Until next time, I'm Nath. And I'm Stu. We are the Sportplex.